0: Hello and welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. I'm Holly Rubenstein, I'm a travel and entertainment journalist, and here each week I'll be speaking to a very special guest about the seven chapters in their life's travel diaries, from their earliest childhood travel memory and the first place they fell in love with, to their hidden gem and what's at the top of their travel bucket list. We'll be uncovering their adventures around the world and the travel experiences and destinations that have shaped their lives. Thank you so much for all your lovely messages about last week's episode with Stanley Tucci. I'm so pleased that you enjoyed it. If you missed it, then don't forget to catch up. And today's guest is one that I've been really excited to share with you, too. She is just quite simply a broadcasting legend. Claire Balding has risen to national treasure status. And she's also a best-selling author, radio presenter and podcaster, in case you didn't think she was busy enough. So this episode was recorded with Claire about a month ago, face to face, at the beautiful Mandarin Oriental Hyde Park in London in an exquisite suite that uh, Claire was staying in that night with her wife Alice. And we covered so many different things this was a conversation that i really didn't want to end just to give you a little taste of what's coming up she tells us how she once won her weight in champagne as a horse jockey as a dog lover we bond over our favorite dog friendly spots in the uk we hear her take on the future of tennis star emma raducanu and she tells us about the time the queen her royal highness turned up at her house for breakfast Her travel diaries take us from Mauritius to Costa Rica, Italy to the Isle of Iona. All that and a lot more coming up on The Travel Diaries. Claire Balding. Welcome to the Travel Diaries
1: podcast. It is amazing to be sitting right in front of you today. How are you? I'm good actually. We're at the Mandarin Oriental Hyde Park uh, looking out over the park and I am feeling as if I've kind of with the, that we're starting to come out the other side of everything we've been through but also I've had a really busy summer working mm. which has been great mm. just to get back to work and do Wimbledon and the Olympics and the Paralympics so I'm looking forward to a slightly easier time although I have to say and I don't know if you find this Holly socializing is really tiring
0: it is don't isn't you think? it yeah I used to try and fill up my calendar you know a full week now, kind of one thing a week is yeah. is what I'm. And then you need a recovery to. day. Yeah. Well, I mean, going back to what you were saying about your summer, I mean,
1: it has been jam packed. You must need a holiday. But that's the thing. I think work is less tiring than (laughs) than seeing lots of I love it and I love and I'm very social yeah I love seeing people but it it, you kind of have to work up the stamina for it yeah um no it's great and I don't I love my work so I really enjoy the brain strain Mm. of knowing an awful lot about a lot of different sports and understanding things as they're happening and how you might then interpret them so that others understand them but also Building up good stories, telling stories about other people—you know—they're the ones. The athletes are the ones putting in all the effort. I'm just sitting watching telly and talking about it. Well, I mean, you say the brain strain.
0: I mean, there have been so many times over the years, Claire, where my husband and I have been watching you on the TV, whether it's you know the Best and Show at Crafts or today at Wimbledon or the Paralympics, where we say to each other, "How does Claire know all this stuff? Like, how does she know?" Because you're a kind of jack of all trains and a master of all (laughs) so how do you how do you set about preparing such in-depth knowledge for such a variety of different areas of of the expertise that you have
1: I think over the last sort of 30 years or 25 years certainly I've become much smarter with my homework because at the beginning of a big event you know we get a massive book of um, all the different sports the key contenders a bit of history of that sport you can't take it all in and people try to, and I tried to the first time mm. I went to an Olympic Games. You've got to work out what you need to know and when you need to know it. And if you've got to fill at the end of a programme, which could be anything up to, you know, seven minutes if if something's run under or you're you, you need to know what's happening tomorrow, but you don't necessarily need to know what's happening next Friday. Right. So yeah. that's where I kind of and and I keep notes of what's happened every day so that it's very Easy to refer back to last Tuesday because I promise you, by the time you get to the second week, you cannot remember what happened on day one and two. So, like you're you're having to live in the moment, really. Totally, that's it. And you know, that's a that is absolutely the answer. I really feel the event. I really love it. I focus entirely on it, and it's something that Emma Raducanu said straight after her U.S. Open final. Tim Hemman interviewed her on court and sort of was asking her what what is this like and she said I'm not sure yet because I'm still so in the moment mm. I don't know what that was that mm. just happened and yeah. so quite often I don't have any understanding when I'm going through an Olympics of how it's being received or enjoyed I hope it's being received well and hugely enjoyed but I do stay very very present and that was something I think I learned in 2012 because mm. I went into London 2012 thinking this is never going to happen again in my lifetime. Yeah. So you enjoy it. And my best way of enjoying things is just throw myself into it 100%. And, and the camera, if you like, is always focused out. It's not on me. It's... Mm. Interesting that you bring up
0: Emma Raducanu. Um, as we're speaking, she recently won the U.S. Open. It was on my on my list of questions to bring that up later. Obviously, you're a huge advocate for female sportswomen and have been over the years. I wondered, from your experience, would you say that this is the one of the greatest female sporting achievements that you've witnessed?
1: Yeah, I think it is. I really do. I think for it's the surprise of it. Yeah. You know, and to come through qualifying and to, you know, not drop a set the whole way through and to play with such freedom and creativity and bravery. Mm. I went to a school the Monday after she won the title, a school of 1500 kids, and I was talking to a year age, so the massive hall full of them. And we, I said, right, put your hands up if you are aware of or watched Emma Raducanu on Saturday night when the US Open. They all put their hands up. And then Amazing. we started going through the alphabet with words to describe her. I realised that was quite a long game when I got to about L or M. I thought this was going to take forever. I'll let them finish off the alphabet in their own time. But they were full of awesome, brilliant, creative. Um, it, was really, it was really enjoyable to see their you know th- how it lifted their spirits because she didn't seem that far away from them no you know she wasn't yeah. that much older No, not that much older and exactly. you know when I was doing my A-levels Boris Becker was winning Wimbledon and I thought my god he's not that you know he's literally the same age as me and he's winning Wimbledon and I remember that making me feel don't waste time and don't feel you have to wait and it is such a
0: lesson about being in the present and utter mental resilience, because when I watched her at Wimbledon, um, I remember thinking to myself, as someone who's had anxiety over the years, an experience like that, uh, for me, would really sit with me for a long time. So to bounce back so quickly really, really surprised
1: me, because it could completely screw someone Something like that, and you become so frightened of it happening again. Yeah, exactly. It sits over your shoulder. Yeah, and and there were times during that final when I said to Alice, "Do you think is she breathing okay?" Yes, I did. So, you as yeah, well? yeah, yeah. There
0: was one time when it looked like she was breathing, but then
1: the rallies were so long. So. But I thought the most. So yeah, you're right. I mean, because what would be the worst thing that can happen to an athlete that mm. you can't breathe? Mm. It is. It is. It's like an actor forgetting their lines. And or, you
0: and you were doing today in Wimbledon yeah. that night. Did you? i mean at the time no one really knew what was going on was it scary
1: yeah it was a bit and i was very conscious that we hadn't seen her reappear so you genuinely don't know i mean you don't know if this is a medical emergency or if this is something that you know is is easy to recover from um and you know people in sport can be quite harsh and there were those who said she can't handle the pressure and i thought at the time i i'm not sure it's that Mm. i think having to put the mask on when the medical officer came out that doesn't help doesn't help when you're having breathing difficulties no no so there are lots of it. and i did wonder actually at the time i wondered if maybe she had early signs of covid and that had affected her breathing yeah. i don't think that is the case mm. marcus rashford was the most helpful and he sent her a message saying it happened to me once playing for the under 16s against wales no explanation why it never happened again yeah. And I thought, oh, thank God for you Marcus in so many ways. Yeah. You are a wonderful wonderful human being because she needs to hear it from someone who's been through it yeah. that this will never you know, hopefully will never happen again. Yeah. So yeah. therefore gave her permission not to fear it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Amazing. What an amazing story to get us started today and now we are going to take a step away from sport for a moment and begin a journey through the seven chapters of your life's travel diaries beginning uh, with chapter one which is your earliest childhood travel memory
1: I well as a family we didn't often go on holiday because my dad was a racehorse trainer and that meant that the summer was a no-go zone for him he couldn't take time off in the summer so we didn't do summer holidays but we did when I was about 10 Dad decided he, he thought we should go on a family skiing holiday. Now, bearing my, my father had not really skied before, but he was quite a sporty man. Mm-hmm. And so he decided he would just conquer skiing by pointing his skis downhill and just going straight, wow. which was quite dangerous for anyone else on the mountain. <laughs> so I do remember that. We went to Chamonix first, and then every Christmas we would pack up and go on Boxing Day oh, and lovely. head off to somewhere in Europe where it was bitterly cold. Um, and we would have a great time actually but essentially the main job was avoid dad because he might kill you (laughs) (laughs)
0: well the immersion therapy obviously worked because he he kept going back year after year after that absolutely yeah it's quite impressive to learn as an adult
1: oh god i remember him falling down we had um one of his owners so one of the people who owned racehorses that he trained had a um condo uh in aspen Colorado mm, nice. so we were invited out there to stay well that was so exciting for me because I remember seeing Brooke Shields on the mountain and oh, Martina Navratilova so glad oh, I,
0: yeah. yeah
1: I told her later then when I was working <laughs> with her I said Do you know I saw you skiing on, in Aspen and I think she may still have a house there um but that was fantastic because it the snow was seemed so much easier than European snow and the really? pieces were much wider mm. and everybody gave each other space but dad did literally he fell from the top of a Red run to the bottom and lost everything. Skis, boots, this boot came off. Oh, my goodness. His clothes scattered everywhere. Yeah. That must have been quite scary. No, he was fine. I really... He thought it was great.
0: (laughs) Well, well, I mean, like you said, he... Was, is obviously a, a very well known. Um, what? How would you
1: describe what he is? Ray, yeah, so he was for many years a racehorse trainer. Racehorse trainer, and that's what my brother now does. Yeah, but it does mean, and my brother has the same issue. He can't really take a summer holiday, mm. so the kids and uh, Annalisa, their mother, go off on holiday in the summer, but andrew can 't really go with them, and he trained some of the queens, horses, yeah, my is that dad right? trained for the queen and, and, yeah. and my brother does as well, yeah
0: now that I have to say it piqued my curiosity because I read that I read that um you came down
1: one day and she was in your kitchen eating breakfast well, that, well, actually, when the queen came, it, they used the dining room, which very <laughs> very rarely got used <laughs> no, yeah, really? so breakfast would be in the dining room, and that was a sign that something had happened, yeah, no, I came back from riding out actually, so I used to ride. Two or three times a morning. Wow. Um, and yeah. I sort of came running in, and there was the Queen sitting at the head of the dining room table because he'd just forgotten to tell me. Usually he did tell us, me and my brother, and we had to practice bowing and curtsying. But my little niece Flora, I think it was Flora, when she first met the Queen, because still she'll come and see her horses. Um, tends to come for tea these times these days right so, and then we'll see them for evening stables and flora just looked at her i think it was flora it might have been Johnno, who's the oldest one m- with his mouth open i think it was Johnno, and said but you're not wearing a crown
0: <laughs> why aren't you wearing a
1: crown <laughs> what did she say she said i don't wear it every day
0: oh that's sweet i mean i was I, I have to say i mean it's so interesting because i feel like i my impression of the queen now has been shaped primarily by the crown, the crown i know yes which is so odd and i mean really globally that probably is the case right so you've got to spend a bit of time with the real queen her majesty um and i have you know always heard that she's got a, a kind of wicked sense of humor like a, a, i've never experienced her human side really most people haven't so what what's it like
1: i think she loves racing because she gets a chance to talk about something that's not her yeah yeah (laughs) so that thing of focusing on something else and she's really interesting about equine behavior so Mm -hmm. she because she's bred horses for you know 70 years now she's got almost sixth and seventh generations of the same family and can sort of see behavior traits that go back to you know she'll say oh the granddam was just like that or oh the reason she she might be funny going into the stalls because her mother was you know that kind of thing um But the jockeys always make her laugh. And I think she really enjoys that feeling of... They're very respectful, but also quite cheeky. And I don't think you get involved in racing unless you've got quite a good sense of Mm humour. And she likes the gossip. She quite enjoys all of that. Really? Yeah, and she just is... You know, she will suddenly say something that's really funny. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Wasn't expecting that. (laughs) I would
0: imagine it's just like slightly unnerving because you kind of just don't know how how much of yourself to give to someone who is like, there's so much formality surrounding them.
1: Yeah, and you do still have to follow protocol. Mm. I mean, you know, you're you're not... you don't mess about. You yeah. do say your majesty and then you say ma'am. You don't suddenly. But Frankie de Tory tells a really funny story about when he was riding for her at Royal Ascot. Just, I think the second time he rode for her, the first time very nervous, hardly said a thing. But the second time was like, whatcha? and then going oh sorry 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 your majesty and she's like oh don't worry (laughs) (laughs) that's so funny
0: and then of course you became as you say you were riding several times a day yourself and you got
1: involved in inventing and then in and flat racing yeah funny enough the hotel um that was maybe what was here before the mandarin oriental Oh that I don't know because it's been here a while because I have it in my head that it was absolutely this vista but they had a big reception when I was the um I won the championship the ladies championship and the prize was my weight in champagne and they weighed me in a hotel on Knightsbridge with the backdrop of Hyde Park. God that's a time when you want to weigh as much as you can. (laughs) Oh I did don't worry and I was a lot heavier than any of the other jockeys so it was great.
0: Wow, and and so it almost would have felt like you know a career in horses was predestined. So how how did that curve come in to become a journalist?
1: Well, I went off to university and I started writing for the for the student newspaper, mm-hmm. and I did a lot of public speaking, mm-hmm. and I that sort of lit in me a real fire to write. I wanted to write novels, I wanted to write articles, I wanted to influence. You know, when you do, you're sort of young and idealistic, and you want to change the world. And and I still think that's you know there are there are, I do want to change bits of the world mm-hmm. <laughs> still, mm-hmm. but I felt then that it was more effective to do that through journalism than it was through politics. And I met through the union, I met a couple of politicians and that rather put me off. So (laughs) um but that's so my my initial thought was going to journalism, which I did and I wrote for I mean gosh in the early days I wrote for The Sporting Life and the Racing Post, because racing was my background and that's what I knew about. Yeah. But then I wrote for The Observer for many years. I wrote for The Evening Standard for years. Um, and I still write regular columns. Yes. And obviously, I started writing books, and my mm-hmm. first book was published in 2012. As luck would have it, the week after the Paralympics finished, Amazing. and that was just fabulous timing. Um, and it did very well. It did, yeah. And
0: there are a couple, couple more in the offing.
1: Yeah, I wrote. So I wrote two adult memoirs, as it were, two, book, two books for adults. Then I wrote three novels for children. Then I wrote a book, little short book for World Book Day called The Girl Who Thought She Was a Dog, that somebody came up and asked me to sign just the other day, a little girl who she said, this is written for me. <laughs> and I was at this event called Dog Fest, and she and she clearly, this is, this book spoke to her. And then I wrote a book called Heroic Animals. That came, So during lockdown, I wrote two two books one one was a collection of stories about animals who had done amazing things 100 different animals and the other was a book called fall off get back on keep going and that's the reason I was speaking in the school on Monday because their year eight had studied it the year before and so it's very timely for lockdown actually Mm, and very Emma Raducanu and very Emma Raducanu I'm almost thinking I ought to do an extra chapter (laughs) about her yeah, they're a little forward. But certainly when yeah. I go around my school visits, mm. I start, I'm starting with her and I'll mm. continue to do so.
0: This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerising gemstones that she's sure to love.
1: For Memorial Day, get 15% off your borough purchase at burrow.com/acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com/acast.
0: Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cosy retreat for fellow travellers? airbnb.co.uk forward slash host thank you to airbnb for supporting the travel diaries let's pause there then and move on to chapter two which is the first
1: place that you fell in love with the first place i fell in love with in terms of traveling i would say is mauritius and that's the one place we go back to on a regular basis. So our rule became, we could, you know, we want to explore, this is Alice and me doing our travelling, which we love. We want to explore as much of the world as we can. But when you find a place that in November, and Alice's birthday is in November, is the perfect surroundings, and we play golf. So if we can go to a hotel with a golf course, Mm -hmm. and we've now realised that if you're on a two-week holiday... It's much better to have two hotels. So then you get a completely different menu and a different golf course. Nice, for the one second in each. week. Yes. Mm-hmm. So we always you now finish off at the Four Seasons Lovely. in Mauritius, and then we go somewhere else, and we might change the one we go to for the week before.
0: So when you go to Mauritius, is it for a, um, you're you're golfing? But are you a kind of flying? Is it for a fly and flop to decompress
1: and read? Yeah, and read. Yeah. yeah. Fly and flop. I hadn't heard that before. Oh. Is that is that, a, is that an insider? No, travel. I think it's a really common is it phrase? turn I of just,
0: phrase. But do you know what? I think that you're probably so busy that it
1: would not have crossed your mind. It has crossed my mind. <laughs> to fly and flop? What does that mean?
0: <laughs> and you have, of course, covered um, every Olympics since Atlanta 1996, as well as for Paralympics as well. And what's interesting about, is that correct? Um, it's actually,
1: so I've done every Olympics since 96 and every Paralympics since 2000. Wow. So 2004. Mm -hmm. six six paralympic games
0: and what is wonderful about the olympics is that i feel like they are almost like a crystallization of a particular the culture of the place that you're visiting and that 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 is hosting but you know with the opening ceremony and with you know what they choose to represent themselves in this major event so i wondered um having covered all these incredible spectacles uh which place comes to mind as one that you were there working and that you thought i want to come back here with alice or you, know, yeah come back sydney, here? sydney sydney for sure yeah. i mean
1: that was just fantastic and because australians are so keen on sports and i did a commonwealth games in melbourne as well which i love i actually think i love melbourne even more than sydney mm. i could live in melbourne yeah i really think that yeah it's a great place um so that was terrific i am. Um, I mean, London, do you know, the London Olympics and Paralympics made me fall in love with London in a way that I'm not sure I had before. It was a magical summer, wasn't it? It really was. And I think it restored our confidence an awful lot. I think it was very good for us as a nation and as a city. Um, Where else? I would say Athens was interesting, but didn't make me want to necessarily go back. Beijing, I... You know, happy to have done it, but not necessarily to go back. Because you're spending an
0: extended period of time there as well.
1: Yes. You haven't got an awful lot of opportunity to get out and about. Mm. Um, They tend to send you to places five days before and get you so that then you're over your jet lag and also they hope you'll start doing quite a lot of homework um but that's your chance really to explore we went back actually so rio was great but i didn't get much chance to really see everything i wanted to see and alice and i went back on a cruise because we love cruising which i'll come to at some Mm -hmm. point in in this interview um but we took a tour in rio with a guide just for us and that i saw things that day that i had not seen in four weeks of being there in the olympics really oh, so what brilliant. what kind of things would he you... took us on a motorbike on the back of motorbikes up to the top of the favela where we had lunch and then to a bar that had a sort of rooftop view of rio it ah. was fantastic and those st- amazing steps you know they're all multicolored, beautiful yeah. art oh, really fantastic such a vibrant city. yeah really really good i loved it
0: i mean a shame that you didn't get to go to Tokyo this time around.
1: Yeah, but, you know, a, a real shame. Although, to be honest, if I were choosing to go to Tokyo, I'm not sure I'd go in August and September. Yeah, that
0: weather was crazy, wasn't it? The weather was crazy. Yeah. And when
1: it was hot, it was so humid. I think traveling was really difficult. Mm. I'd love to go back. Actually, Heroic Animals has been published in Japan. And there's a, there are a couple of Japanese animals in it. And I'm really hoping that it takes off, because if it takes off, then I might get to go on a book tour there. Oh, yeah. And that would be really nice.
0: Amazing. I hope it does. I hope it does. Well, chapter three is the place where you learnt the most about yourself. Where would that be?
1: That would probably be Australia, actually. I went between school and university. I actually had two years out because I was desperately trying to get into the university I eventually went to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it took a lot of trying. Um And getting turned down by lots of other universities along the way, actually. So I took myself off to Australia and I travelled on my own Mm. for, I mean, probably only for about a month. Um, But that was a real experience in growing up and just becoming aware of how responsible you are for your own safety and for your own belongings. I, I made a few mistakes. On the way back, I had an overnight stay in Singapore and I'd run out of money so I stayed in a youth hostel with actually really nice Swedish and um, travellers were, you know, young, same as me, teenage travellers. Mm-hmm. I shared a room with, but I didn't realise in a youth hostel you don't get a towel. So I took myself off to have a shower and then I'm like, where's the towel? I don't have a towel. There was a flannel. So I used that. Uh, thank God for that. I know. Yeah, <laughs> That's what I thought. Otherwise I was just going to use T-shirts. Good things to know. Good things to know as a solo traveller. And, and I learned to make friends and because you're yeah, all thrown in deep end. Yeah, you're on this great adventure yeah. and you start chatting because it's really boring eating on your own. I don't like that at all. Did you travel around Australia? Yes. So yeah. which place did you love the most? Well, I was really impressed with Adelaide. I flew into Adelaide first mm-hmm. and most did people, you? that's where you started yeah. off. Amnesia. And most people don't really go there. No. Um and then I went to Sydney. On that trip I don't think I went to Melbourne because I hadn't started I used to go I, I did a few Melbourne Cups for radio, so I mm-hmm. I went to Melbourne every year for about eight or nine years. I worked for Australian oh. Telly actually a couple of years out there too. Really, um, And then I went to Sydney and I stayed with a racehorse trainer there. And then I went off on my own and I went up to the Whitsunday Islands and then mm. I went up for the north. I went up to Cairns and I did all sorts of things. I did bungee jumping and, you know, swimming at night with
0: the wildlife there is oh, it's just great unreal i've never been but i recently released an australia destination special so i oh. really felt as though it gave me a taste for
1: yes but the pla- i must admit we went to new zealand um on one of our amazing cruises and we stayed on um another four or five days but we only went to the north island and I would really like to go back and go to the South Island. Mm. I thought when we're allowed to go back to New Zealand. And I have I know lots of people who live in New Zealand. So it would be so much fun. Really difficult to get accommodation there, though. Is it? Really hard. Really? And it is phenomenally expensive. Yes. And I think that's why so many people hire camper vans and do it like that. Because, yeah. you know, most of the, it's not got big hotels. Once you're out and about in the country and you're exploring it, you're looking at small bed and breakfasts that are really really expensive beautiful and you know it's a lovely way amazing to settings it. but yeah you've got a
0: budget for it oh yeah well let's pause there and move on to chapter four that is your all-time favorite destination the, the big the big
1: chapter Okay, so that I've said Mauritius is the place I first fell in love with, so that's kind of covered. But that is a wonderful, a wonderful destination. But um, I might do more than one here. Please do. So some of the Fire best away. holidays that we went to Costa Rica. Oh. when we started to sort of go right, let's go for a real adventure. Yeah, and I thought Costa Rica as a country was
0: magnificent. The happiest country on earth, isn't
1: is it? Is it? Yes. Is that right? So. Yeah. But I love the fact that it's got a Caribbean coastline and a Pacific coastline and they're Mm. so different. And then you've got your cloud forest in the middle and you've got all its ecotourism. It's really ahead of the curve on that. Um, And we just had a fantastic experience that also included flying into an airstrip on the Pacific coast to stay at a hotel called Punta Islita. And Punta Islita, at the time, was the most beautiful place I'd ever seen. and situated on top of a hill looking out over the ocean and you'd sort of swim to the edge of the infinity pool and stare at this ocean and Mm. see in the distance you know a whale breaching or something Mm -hmm. it was amazing it was absolutely amazing and beautiful sunsets as well i love a sunset and so much wonderful wildlife yes exactly and we went off on a day to try and find the three toed sloth (gasps) I oh. managed to get really burnt, actually, through the cloud, as you do when you're not oh, when yeah. you're British and you're just <laughs> yeah. stupid about, oh, the sun's not out, I won't get burnt. We also, and we've done this a couple of times, because I ride, and Alice can ride as well, we'll quite often say, oh, well, you know, let's go riding. Well, usually, I mean, you're lucky if you get out of a trot. I mean, seriously, it mm-hmm. is you are doing very little. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you might go up and down the beach. In Costa Rica, it was like being on this wild adventure. It was just the two of us with a guy who had a machete who cut through the branches of the jungle and we galloped up hills and we went through rivers. And it was just great. I mean, couldn't walk for three days afterwards, but it was really, (laughs) really good. So we loved that. And we had a great trip as well to Cuba. Mm. And that felt very cultural and exciting and different. And I just love those places that feel... A long way away. And the other place that was very special... um, Do you remember when the hockey team won the gold medal at the Rio Olympics? Mm -hmm. One of the members of that team who'd come out of retirement to play in it was Krista Cullen Uh and Krista has dual nationality and she's part Kenyan and and British but she runs a foundation called Tefauti which helps fund various different campaigns and um, wildlife conservation but also Mm -hmm. helping locals in Kenya and we, I was hosting her fundraising ball for her and I left Alice in charge of the silent auction. I said, oh, if you see something we might like, you know, put a bid in. I come back to find she's bought a trip to Kenya. <laughs> so Krista then realising we've bought it, kind of changed, I think, what the spec was on this. Oh, my word. I mean, we were, Krista and her parents gave us the best bespoke Kenyan safari experience that you could ever wish for. And that was wonderful. They picked us up from the airport, and we went and stayed the night at their ranch, which is just on the edge of Nairobi. Mm-hmm. Um, and we stayed in Krista's tent, which was like a you know posh tent that you sometimes get in India if you've been on that any glamping. of those. Yeah, yeah, glamping, very much glamping, ultra glamping. And then we got into. Uh, the, so they've got two planes and her mother was flying one and her father was flying the other and we get in the plane with Gary and yeah. he goes through all the safety things and I'm the co-pilot so I've got to be in charge of, you know, yeah. various things and checking things with him and going through the checklist and Alice is in the back with, we, we had one other couple with us um, and off we went to ver- three different, so Lewa was the first place we went to and and we went to see rhinos and then we went to uh, a Two other... Well, oh, I know. One of them was the place that Princess Diana had taken Prince William and Harry. Oh. And they pulled our bed out to be under the stars. We slept under the stars and heard an elephant crashing through that night. And actually, it had gone up really close to someone's tent. who was in a slightly different area of the camp. Mm. And they literally looked at me. Oh, my God, there's an elephant right outside our tent. Don't move. Um, but honestly, looking down on the zebras and elephants at the waterhole... They were. They had these thing called grevy zebras, mm-hmm. which are they're really friendly and sweet. Wider ears than your normal yeah. zebra, yeah, uh, or zebra, however you say it. It was really great, and because again that thing of you're looking, you're searching. I got really into you know bird life, and I yeah. have never really been that interested, mm-hmm. but I really loved it, and I had my binoculars out all the time, and then you'd hear stories and and. I mean, some of them were pretty brutal stories, to be honest, in realising how dangerous hippos are, for example.
0: Yeah, when I was in Kenya, a hippo ran through our camp, actually, and it was all quite a commotion.
1: Yeah, you get out of way. We away. thought it was amusing at the time. No, no, no. A hippo could snap yeah, you in half and, Exactly, and would. Um, but we spent quite a lot of time trying to find a leopard, and that didn't work. But that, as Gary said to us, that's the reason you have to come back. Exactly. Because you haven't yet seen a leopard. Yeah. It was a great trip, and we finished in a place called Galana, where they have a sort of, you know, um, they run a kind of boarding house thing. And there, everything's much wilder. You know, when you're in the Kruger National Park or wherever, everything's quite, you know, they're used to being seen. You get that, so the cheetahs are running under. Yeah. I, we saw a cheetah mother with all her cubs and they were running under the trucks. Yeah, they're and they're, they're the very traffic, careful yeah. about not having too many trucks watching. Um, but up in Galana, it was wild. Mm. And you see these great big tusker elephants, you know, with tusks that are about five feet long. Mm. That was
0: incredible. It was really
1: great. And we went to the local village and saw the setup with the school that they'd helped build with yeah. money from Tavati, and all these kids running around us and teaching them dances and seeing what books they had. And you look at the, you know, it's so basic, it's so simple. Um. And you realise how much more, obviously, we have in schools here, although probably not enough, um, but they are really desperate. They want to learn, you know, they're desperate for education. Mm. Um, Yeah. Well, I'll link to the foundation in the show notes if people want to find out more. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of incredible animals, Claire, you have my dream job, the job that I wanted when I became a journalist, which is hosting crafts. (laughs) Oh my goodness, I mean, what a wonderful gig that must be.
1: Yeah, I love doing it. And again, it sort of tests me because there are so many different breeds of dog and you've got two groups on every day except for gundog day when it's just gundogs because there's so many different breeds of gundog. Yeah. Um, but you get used to the pattern of it. So again, you work smart. And I, there are lots of random things I know about certain breeds of dog and where they came from and what they were for. I'm I'm really keen to do a book actually and a TV show called Around the World in Eighty Dogs. And so it'd be like a travel log, but you'd be oh, going to see you go to Newfoundland yes. because that's where the Newfoundland goes. Go comes and find from. the Akita in Japan. Yeah, or, and yeah. and go to the Puli Croatia. Hun- exactly, the Hungarian <laughs> yeah. Puli, exactly. Yeah. Um, but go and you know, go to Croatia, which is where the Dalmatian obviously the Dalmatian yes. coast, you know? Yeah that's where the Dalmatian well, originated from. Idea. And you know, the German <gasps> Shepherd and all these and the Dachshund and all these dogs that yes. have yeah. Areas, But even just within Britain, you yeah. know, you've got all your, your Border Terrier, Yorkshire Terrier, Norfolk Terrier, Norwich Terrier, all those things, Manchester Terrier. W- w- what were they bred for? What are the differences? Yeah, that's you know, who was idea. the first person that was doing this? And...
0: Yeah. Or, or um, a
1: TV show as well would be a great... Oh, yeah, because yeah. you, you want to see them, exactly. Yeah. So that's what I'd love to do. Yeah, I mm. find... I love dogs, obviously. Mm. And, but and I find I the so whole... i so sorry
0: to, see, oh. to hear about Archie. It brought it here to my eye because he really...
1: He would always make often make an appearance on crafts. He me? was a proper media tart. He <laughs> loved a camera. And he was very handsome. He was a Tibetan yeah. Terrier, black and white, very furry. Looked like a Disney dog. He was gorgeous. And he lived a fantastically long time. You know, he was mm. 15 and a half. Yeah. Um, but yeah it's I sort of I was at dog fest the other week and and you know lots and lots and lots of different dogs and it's so nice having a cuddle with other people's dogs but you sort of realize there's this gaping hole in your life
0: yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, we, we had the same thing and we actually got a dog in January. <gasps> did you? What yeah, did you get? Yeah, we got a
1: Cavapoo
0: oh, called dog. Indy and she has just completely yeah changed our lives and she's just the best thing that's ever happened to us. And um,
1: now you're planning holidays that are dog-friendly.
0: Well, yes, exactly. And I was going to ask, in memory of Archie, mm. what destination did he like to go on holiday to? What dog-friendly destination did he enjoy?
1: He quite liked Posh Hotel. Did he? Mm. He had expensive tastes. But the rules were generally that he wasn't meant to be on the bed. Well, that's something you couldn't control, you know, come back and find him absolutely curled up on the bed. So we took him to Lucknam Park, which he liked very much, which is just nebab. outside Bath. Yeah. Exactly. And there's a really nice hotel near Malmesbury, between Malmesbury and the Arboretum. Mm-hmm. Watley Manor, it's called. Oh, yes. And they were very good at having... Our, but he did take him... So, so we had a dog-friendly room, had opened the French windows... And next thing we know, Archie's gone and he's gone for a little walk and he's taken himself off into the garden and he's found the kitchen. And so then we have to go running and say, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, take him back. (laughs) But he liked it there um and he was he was pretty good actually i we we took him once up to the lake district do we take him i think we took him to holbeck gill which is just above lake windermere and that's oh, lovely beautiful yeah they have labradors there or the owners used to have the the ex-owners i think had labradors with signs around them saying do not feed me <laughs> <laughs> because everyone A really sad looking them. labrador going mm, please feed me <laughs>
0: Oh yeah, I mean, as a a nation of dog lovers, it's interesting to think about places that are great for dogs, and something that I've been thinking about more and more. We just took her to Cornwall for her first holiday, R and D. And did um,
1: she like the sea? Because Archie hated the sea. We took him to Cornwall, and he wouldn't go near the sea.
0: She she cautiously enjoyed it. She paddled in the shallows, but she didn't, you know, swim off like a golden retriever would to like go and catch a ball and stuff. But um, with the poodle cross fair, you know, the the grooming afterwards was quite arduous. I would say that to any uh, listener if you if you bring your dog and it's a poodle cross bear that in mind it will take a bit of your day <laughs> so let's move on to chapter five and that is your hidden gem a place that you love that maybe my listeners wouldn't
1: know that much about we have had some fantastic Trips to Italy, but not in the traditional places. Okay. So we went to the Dolomites on a walking holiday in the spring, and I'd always wanted to go because I, you know, as I said, I skied when I was a kid, and I always would be in the. I love being in the mountains, and always thinking, what would this be like? Actually, it was the summer. Obviously, it was the summer. And they were having a really hot summer in Italy, which is becoming more and more common. So it was unbearable down in the cities. And the guy who, Hugo, he was called, who ran this amazing hotel, um, would be sending texts and mess- WhatsApp messages to his friends in Rome with pictures of the thermometer thing that was reading a perfectly sensible temperature and yeah. they were frying down yeah. there. And that was really great. We It was very um, challenging, physically challenging. And we really loved it. Rosa Alpina was the name of the hotel. Oh, yes. Mm. michelin
0: star restaurant there as well. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. But I quite liked the pizzeria, I have to say. I mean, yep. the michelin star restaurant was great, but, you know, you can't do seven courses every night, can <laughs> yeah, you?
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, when so, you're walking no. as much as you were, then at least, you know,
1: yeah and really nice spa well treatments deserved. there and the air was so pure but we also went to a fantastic hotel down in Puglia and the mm. Italians are very snobby about Puglia because they don't I think it's been a later discovery well I thought it was great oh, So yeah we, we stayed in this old it was a it had been a monastery and it converted into a hotel or a farm maybe it had been a farm I'd never seen a swimming pool like it for the shape and size of it. But every night being able to sit out because the temperature was so lovely, being able to sit out in the open with an amazing view, that was great. And the last trip we went on abroad was to Umbria to stay in a villa up in the hills. And honestly, that I mean, we had... One day of sunshine and then the rest of the time the weather was pretty awful and we still had a fantastic time. Mm, that, that
0: says something, yeah. right? Because everyone goes to Tuscany and Umbria is some, somewhat overlooked, isn't it?
1: But yeah. there are the most spectacular villages there. Yeah, it was really... I mean, I I do love it. I wish I spoke Italian, but I love Italy and I think there's so much to find that isn't on the, on the beaten track, as mm. it were. Um, so that's fun. And walking generally has taken me to places... We, we, we had a fantastic week walking in Scotland after the Olympics and I'd never been to Iona and I'd really wanted to go to Iona and we walked with a guy who is a walking guide and he's nothing to do with the religious community so we saw a completely different Iona to what most people would see if they go there. Oh, so what's the religious community? Well about? there's a whole, so, so Iona is a massive spiritual retreat
0: oh, and that's
1: kind of the heart of its tourism. But I would say to anyone, don't just do that. Make sure you see the rest of the island and go with a guide. You know, walk with someone who knows where they're going and knows the geology and the history and, you know, really can tell you about the place. What's the landscape like? Um, Very rocky, um, heather, uh, a bit of, um, there's a grass. uh, It'll come to me in a moment, but you get onto the springy grass, which is much easier to walk on, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's quite hard work and it's got one big hill in the middle but essentially if you're going around the outside you're scrambling up and down sort of mini hills all the time mm. really beautiful there waves crashing in you know and you see the weather coming and that you have to take a ferry from Mull to get there yes. so it's quite a long you go up to oban get the ferry to Mull, and get the ferry from malta iona so you're talking wow. about a real adventure yeah
0: real adventure and did you great. stay on the
1: island stayed on Mull actually stayed stayed on, sta- Mull. stayed on Mull yeah but i would go back if i was recommending a walking holiday in scotland i'd probably go east coast and go f- to fife mm-hmm. and there's a fantastic walk that goes all the way up to st andrews and oh. you tend not to get any midges on the east coast we definitely don't get any images on the East Coast. Mm. You can on the West Coast, obviously. Which is we, such a blight for we, walkers, of course. Yeah, yeah, we didn't, actually. We were lucky because the mm. wind was strong enough. and oh, That's so know, good, yeah. That keeps them away.
0: So from Fife and it goes all the I'd way I'd go, in. yeah.
1: So the Kingdom of Fife is just over, obviously, it's just north of Edinburgh. And you go over the Firth of Forth and then you're into Fife. Yeah. <laughs> so try saying all those things really quickly. <laughs> Firth of Forth and Fife. <laughs> and there's a really great, and it's called... It's not St. Cuthbert's, but it's St. Something's Path, and it goes all the way up that east coast. It's really, really fantastic. Great places to stay along the way and really good pubs.
0: Amazing. I mean, I'd love to briefly touch on um speaking of walking in the the uk and hidden gems i mean we've all loved following ramblings for years now also a very successful podcast as well it's already a four show and did you discover some i
1: mean you must have discovered so many british hidden gems along the way Uh, well northumberland i think is the most underrated county northumberland yeah and uh, honestly i think northumberland is absolutely mind-blowing it is so vast and it's like the it, and there's hardly anyone there. So you get great coastal walks there. So there's St. Oswald's Way, St. Cuthbert's Way, and essentially the northeast coastal path. Um, but different routes you can take. But you've got great ruined castles, so Bamburgh and Dunstanborough Castle. Um, some really good towns. And if you go further inland, you get to Annick. Mm. That's got another great castle. You know, all because mm-hmm. the, they were big, fortified. Um, so steeped in history. Yeah, oh, yeah. And you can imagine, you know, them trying to repel raiders coming over the... Yeah. The, the water. Um, it's, it's just, yeah, really great. I also love the borders. I like, um, I go to quite a lot of literary festivals, obviously, because of the books. Mm-hmm. And there's a literary festival in Wigton and Wigton is in Dumfries and Galloway. Oh, right. So you know where the Lake, obviously you know where the Lake District is. yeah Acro- If you then look at the next bit of land above, I think it's the Solway Firth comes in above the Lake District and the other side of there... That is Wigtonshire, but it's part, and and it's a, so it's a south-facing peninsula with water all round it, so the light, I mean, there was a full moon there, and I've never seen light like it i think the uk's got so much to recommend it but you just don't want to all be going to Cornwall or, or, or going or, or going to dorset when you're just going to get stuck on the 303 you yeah. know or whichever yeah. you know which, or the m3 just yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly you, it needs yeah. to be you need to plot it to either do it out of season or go somewhere no one else is going well in
0: contrast to those gorgeous sounding places chapter six is your worst
1: travel experience we went to Mexico a few years ago and had a great holiday, but the time we went before that, we both... Well, Alice got really sick, I think probably sunstroke, actually, and the hotel just wasn't what it promised to be. So that was tricky. Um, but generally speaking, my rule we'll is we'll make it fun, we'll make the best of it, So, and we're good travellers, and we really... You know, we really like an adventure, so we will try and make it better. The thing that obviously ruins any holiday is if the weather is desperate. And we had this amazing trip to Sri Lanka, which was, for the large part, wonderful. But we, and it was quite expensive, and we were out um, in the sort of middle. We were going to climb Sigiriya, which is one of the, you know, the amazing sort of um, historic sites. Mm. It never stopped raining. We were play, staying at a place called Elephant Corridor, which was this wonderful hotel. I think we were the only people there. And we just got the seasons wrong. We just didn't do enough research on the weather. So it was like monsoon season. Yeah. No, and, and I would, you know, when you find, actually just briefly on Mexico, when you, you it is worth, really worth going somewhere very nice there. Because then when it's very nice, they do it really well. Mm. When it's not, it can be very average.
0: That's a good tip. Uh, Of of all the places in Mexico that you have visited, is there a particular region that um, you enjoyed the most? Because in the US, uh, my US listeners, I imagine, will be very familiar with all the different parts of Mexico and how diverse it is. But in the UK, maybe we think just of like Cancun, for example. So is there one bit that you love the most?
1: The the best one we had there was we stayed at the Banyan Tree in Mayakoba, um, oh. which is part of it's got another sort of three or four hotels, really nice ones um, mm-hmm. that you can eat at and just charge it back to your room. So, and it's pricey. It's really pricey, but my word, it was great. And the golf course there is one of the best we've ever played. Really? Yeah. And that was wonderful, actually really great. But we went into town and I'm not the best at noticing when somebody might be pretending that they know me so we got out of the taxi and straight away someone said oh hi hi I'm I'm the waiter at your hotel and of course you go come come and see my shop you know and then you find you're in a you're in a jewelry shop where they're trying to flog you jewels that you don't need (laughs) or want and yeah that was interesting (laughs) yes
0: (laughs) well I can't believe that we're on to the final chapter of your travel diaries claire and that is chapter seven the destination at the top of your travel bucket list
1: well we have discovered cruising in the last sort of five or six years and i was always a bit snobby about it and thought i don't want to be on a cruise i'm going to be all kept cooped up on a boat i won't be able to get away from people it's not at all like that if you if you you know go with the right people and, mm-hmm. and we go with Cunard and it's absolutely lovely and we I would really like to go to um I'd like to do the Baltic Sea and the various ports and Gothenburg and St Petersburg mm-hmm. and Tallinn and all of that mm. um I'd also love to do the fjords do you know it sounds awful I don't I don't mean do them I would love to see the fjords and there are places I think you can only go by ship that are that's what I want to do so we the first one we did was um the Panama Canal oh. So wow. we got on in Miami, went through the Panama Canal and then all the way around to Los Angeles. We made friends on that cruise that are still friends today. Oh,
0: that's lovely. And that
1: was such a good experience that mm. then we decided to do other things. So mm. we've been down the Amazon and that's the one that ended up then in Rio. And that was the last the last cruise we we had, actually, because of because of Covid. Um, but we've had wonderful experiences and sailing out of San Francisco to head off towards Hawaii coming out under the Golden Gate Bridge with a glass of champagne at the back of the ship. That's one of the most vivid pictures in my mind. And then it takes five days across the Pacific to get to Hawaii. And that's quite rough. Um, And then we sail from Hawaii, all obviously, again, across the South Pacific... Um, to Tonga and Samoa and then into Auckland New Zealand oh my god Honestly, what a route! so that when I look now and as soon as obviously the ships are allowed to dock again and yeah. all the places you want to go there are so many trips that I want to go on
0: and we're gonna um, have to do a part two. yeah
1: day. <laughs> and that's that would be and I'd love to go up to Alaska and on a ship because again I just think you 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 sometimes don't realise the vastness of the world when you fly in somewhere and you fly out. There's something about sailing, a bit like walking, I think, that slows you down and makes you realise how long it takes to get from, you know, San Francisco to Hawaii. It's a long, long way out. Yeah. Um, and you see so much. And, and, you know, my thing about sunsets, watching a sunset at sea is really special.
0: Amazing. Oh, well, thank you so much. Claire Balding, those were your travel diaries. It's been A total honour and a joy. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I really hope you enjoyed hearing from Claire as much as I enjoyed talking to her. What a lovely woman. So down to earth. And like I said, just like a conversation that I really didn't want to end. A big thanks to Mandarin Oriental Hyde Park London for hosting us for our interview. You can book your winter or Christmas staycation and enjoy magical Mandarin moments of delight from £740 per night. Thanks so much for listening today. If you are enjoying the podcast, then don't forget to hit subscribe or if you use Apple Podcasts to hit follow so that a new episode lands in your podcast app each week. And if you really enjoyed it, then if you fancy leaving a rating or a review, that would be extra special. If you want to find out who's joining me on next week's episode, come and follow me on Instagram. I'm at Holly Rubenstein. Would love to hear from you, as always. And if you can't wait till then, remember, there's all of the first five seasons to catch up on nearly 70 episodes to keep you busy there and don't forget that all the destinations mentioned by my guests I always include in the episode show notes and they're also always on my website thetraveldiariespodcast.com thanks so much for listening and I'll be back next week Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos visiting some places that have been on my bucket list and while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to airbnb it's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travelers just like i do whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room It's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries.